Welcome to the Toka Backstage Podcast. Join Toka's Executive Director, Chris Wolf, in conversations with the artists and people behind the scenes of the Torrance Cultural Arts Foundation's performances and events. Welcome back to another edition of Toka Backstage. I am so pleased and honored to have two of the group from Mostly Kosher. Would you please introduce yourselves? I'm Janice Mountner-Markham, violinist. I'm Liab Sofer, lead vocalist and band leader. And guys, I, I thank you so much for taking the time. I know you guys are crazy busy, but I just want to give people a feel for your show that's coming up on November 3rd, day before my birthday. So not to, not to pressure you to, to, to do happy birthday for me, but I'm just uh, letting you know. So first of all, I love the name Mostly Kosher because to me it really exemplifies what you guys do because it's mostly kosher. But where did the name come from? Well, uh, when we first came together, we came together not knowing what band name we might have. We actually, this was a one request from one space, oh my God, almost 10 years ago. So we didn't really have a name for ourselves. We were going through different options and I think we but, made a list of Jewish words, didn't we? We did. We were trying to play around. <laughs> and, and the first gig we've ever done was a satire of um, Garrison Keillor or the... The Jewish radio uh, prairie, prairie Home Companion yeah. type of thing. Yeah. So um, we had some skits to it, which added a lot of fun back when we were doing that show. And uh, our trombone player helps us get to this delineation of like, well, some of us are Jews. Not all of us are Jews in the group. We just called our good friends and our strong musicians that we knew we could rely on to make a really magical musical experience. We're like mostly Jewish, but not fully. And then the other thing we got to is like, when you run in, and you're a Jew in America and you run into people who aren't Jews, but sometimes when we know something about a culture, it's like you meet someone, you want to say the first thing that comes to mind. And a lot of people will be like, oh, you're Jewish. Do you stay kosher? And you know, we all say the same thing. Mostly. mostly. <laughs> and our music is mostly. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I like it. It's like when I was looking, because we have requests for bringing in the Klezmer group. And I've, so we've been doing at least one a year. And I was looking around and I found you guys, I think online. And then I started watching some of your videos and I'm going, well, that's not Klezmer. And then I watched another one. Well, that's Klezmer. So I got the name, mostly kosher. Cause right. Yeah. So why Klezmer? Well, you know, it's funny is my background's even actually more Mizrahi, even though my mother's side is Ashkenazi, but I grew up more with Israeli folk songs and whatnot. I would say your background's more Ashkenazi and you, right? Yeah, I mean, I grew up playing more classical music and then my dad, not only classical pianist, but also piano bar style pianist, jazz standard kind of person. And I honestly, even though my background, yes, Ashkenazi didn't come into playing klezmer music really seriously until mostly kosher. I mean, you should probably tell how we started, at least briefly. That gig, that gig briefly, we mentioned was, was an accident. story. <laughs> the gig we mentioned was an accident. It was someone, I was a clarinet major in college, and uh, I was playing, also playing piano. played piano at a wedding in a synagogue, and I schmoozed afterwards, which I tell people all the time, without Yiddish words, musicians wouldn't have a gig. Because if you don't schmooze, you don't get the gig. But that being said, the woman said, you know, oh, you're, you're young, you're, oh, you're a clarinet player and you're Jewish, so you must play klezmer, was her assumption. And I never played klezmer really much before, but of like a good 
young, hard and working, ambitious musician. I just fake it till you make it, right? So I said, of course I play klezmer. And then um, she said, yeah, you must have a klezmer band. And I said, of course I have a klezmer band. And then she's like, perfect. We're going to book you for a big gala next year. It's going to be the big hit of the year. Tell your band, here's the date. Can't wait. And I said, great. 19 years old. Yeah. And so I jumped in the car and on my way home, I started calling all of my, you know, university musician friends that were Jewish, ran out of them pretty quickly. So then started just calling the musicians. I kept saying, you, you want to be in my klezmer band? And some of them would be like, sure. Some of them would be like, what's klezmer? And I'll be like, we'll find out together. But I knew what klezmer was. You know, we all know Fiddler on the Roof. We all have that idea of what klezmer music is. But we didn't know how rich it was until we used that opportunity to dig in. And so we just studied it. Like any recital you would in university, you just study a music that a professor gives you and then you, you turn around and you perform and that, and what you've learned. And that was how we approached this is that a lot of us went, we studied it. And as we studied it, we decided we wanted to rearrange it and add to it and change it. And, and then from the first gig, we, we had a, really exciting time on stage and we've got like five or six more bookings right from that first performance. Yeah. And we realized there's something to this, but I think that it actually didn't come in the first gig, but it came much later that we found some connection to it from in the spirit of it, that we're realizing that we're keeping to our roots, we're honoring the roots, but also like what we can create when we change the music is the new roots. It could be this year's modern Jewish folk music. Yeah, it's really true. I mean, when, when I talk to students or when we do outreach, even things for, for high school students, when they think of folk music and you ask them about folk music, they'll talk about it as music of the past. And for us, we want to introduce the concept that folk music is present and even future and that we're continuing the tradition of the folk music experience. Isn't that true, though, that folk music is timeless because it is... It's telling stories and it's it's traditional. It's just like Christmas carols are timeless or... Yeah, I think that is, there's also a question of how music is redefines itself as time goes on. Who's to say that blues music isn't going to, in a hundred years from now, be considered folk? I don't know. I think that that's something that we should share too, is that our last concert at Toka, which we had a, such a great time, there was a, a lot of diversity of kind of like a trip around the world with our music and I think what's going to be different about coming back to Toka this year is a lot of the new music we've done has a voice of social justice in some of the words because a new experiment we've been doing is instead of just taking the folk music of Judaism and Jewish culture and like rearranging it is we've been writing a lot of new originals with original lyrics and original concepts but merging it with either traditional melodies or using traditional Jewish um, language poetry or verses to pull the content from. And so these pieces are either merging with it or responding to it. And that way it, it kind of brings the stories into the future, but tied in with what's going on today. We have songs about mental health, songs about people that might be vulnerable. We commentary on LA's homelessness and it's all, the same thing that folk music has always done, which has been a voice for those that don't have one. And so that's a lot of a, what we might be bringing to the music this year and that we're excited about. Yeah, I think that the idea of the protest song and not having a separation between who we are as citizens, as people, as what we do in our own social justice work, as 
individuals and in our different organizations, not having a separation between that and the art and music we create. And that is really important to Leav and myself and the rest of the group. Will you mix that with the standard class or standard klezmer stuff or is it? I think first of all, in the pieces themselves, they already have that fusion. We have a song that called Go Away that is a commentary on maybe the demons in our heads that we may have and the schizophrenic thoughts that can go on with someone who's suffering from something like that. But it, it actually, the words were put to a klezmer melody that is by a klezmer clarinetist from way a hundred years ago who started the klezmer clarinet scene in America, who was known for being quite crazy and doing a lot of crazy things, including he would get on stage wearing like Christmas lights on his suit and like would short circuit himself. And um, so there's elements of pulling from people who might be considered unstable in a hundred years ago and the melodies that they wrote, the klezmer melodies, and then merging it with the new lyrical concept that is tying the past and the present together. That's one example. Okay, for somebody who is klezmer ignorant, to me, like, for example, your last concert or all the klezmer shows that we presented, I sit in the back of the house watching people and, well, especially your show because it's just so high energy, so fun, so musical, and the musicianship is just exceptional, but it's, it's almost toe-tapping. Whereas the topics that you're talking about, merging that to that music, to me, seems almost impossible. It's or is that, or is it, or am I just thinking of Klezmer wrong? Well, you know, it's really interesting, Teek, because hearkening back to one of our first concerts, we had an intermission, and we had just finished the first set, right, of music. And I was feeling so great about it. Wow, we really killed it. Yay. And this elderly man storms up to the front of the stage, hands on his hips, when's the Klezmer starting? And I was just kind of taken aback. I'm like, what is he talking? And then I started to think about it. And if you're thinking about what people consider typical Freilach, a happy dance, you know, and we had played a Yiddish art song, you know, we had played a Hebrew melody. We, and I was thinking about all of the different pieces that we thought of as Jewish cultural music that mostly kosher had played. And maybe one of them had sort of traditional klezmer aspects to it. And some of the purists that I've spoken to, because I'm definitely still a student in all of this, would consider klezmer music as with not no vocalist, very upbeat with instruments you can carry, clarinet, violin, and it's very specific style of dance music that's nomadic. And so we have over the course of the years, for ourselves even, look to define what is klezmer to us? How are we sort of allowed to define ourselves? What are the limitations? What are the boundaries? And as we feed these themes, as we always was speaking to, it is absolutely in line with the Jewish cultural musical experience. And you find there's a lot of lows and there are a lot of highs. There's not a lot of mids, <laughs> to use a sound version. There's the pain and the suffering and being thrown out of 
countries and trying to find your way as an immigrant, which is also, of course, very universal. And then there is the joy and the elation. We're hoping to pull from these themes and to continue this journey. I would definitely say that Klezmer is purest form. It can, you know, is like classical music. It can feel like it has its, I don't want to call it limits, but it can feel like it's got a structure that one must follow. And when you said, I, the, what you're talking about, that merge seems impossible to me. That put a big smile on my face because I said, exactly. That's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to do something new, you know, and I'm excited by the fact that it seems non-conventional. I'm excited by the fact that it would have to create some deep listening. And that doesn't change the toe tapping of it a lot of times. We have a song that's a very much a call to power. It it's actually uses the Yiddish words Baruch Hate, which is from a lullaby that says, look at these candles reflect in your father's eyes. And as your father rises up and says to you, we must remember to light these candles because these candles carry the message of the past and the lessons we've learned from the past. And we must make sure to pass them on to the next generation, a very Jewish theme. It's a lullaby that's been around for, you know, 80, 80 years and, um, or more. And we take it and put it to a high toe-tapping Balkan experience, which is super high experience. And then we've responded with lyrics that continue to only unpack the concept of we all must not watch the world go by, but must always be acting to make our world stronger and a better place. And it's all of our responsibilities to continue to act. And so we just lyrically continue to unpack it with a toe-tapping beat and a virtuosic lines with, and it's very klezmer lines and all of it that would be reminiscent of just some shredding musicians, but at the same time carries this chant that asks everybody to just rise up. And so um, I love that, you know, of course the simchas, there's also the simchas in the happy themes too that we bring in and, and that we keep hold, hold on to. But I also like that the toe tapping and dancing doesn't always have to be just focusing on one dimensional of emotion, but can create joy and love inside of your heart, but also can stand for creating new ideas and, and kind of push envelopes a little bit. Yeah, it's sort of add on to that. Of course, we didn't create these fusions, you know, even in our research and music from the past, we think of, okay, who was this klezmer musician of America, of that, just after that diaspora and pre-World War II, who were these people and where were they drawing their musical experiences from? Well, some of it was liturgical, some of it was in shul, some of it was from the jazz clubs, um, mm -hmm. some of it was from the old Russian folk melodies. There was an immediate pull of different genres and forces when you take a song like And the Angels Sing, you know, and Harry Candle's band that became, all of a sudden you have Benny Goodman, all of a sudden you have a big band, Top 40s hit. That was straight note for note. Bulgar, you know, there was note for note that melody, which is a, a klezmer groove. A, uh, Bulgar melody, you know, a, a type of the klezmer music that is very well known of the klezmerim, and so you have this fusion that is already there. And then the only other thing I want to say about that particular subject matter is we're also, you know, on the shoulders of 
the Klezmatics and, and groups that came out of the 70s and 80s resurgence and revival that were also mixing genres, that were also taking the Woody Guthrie and taking the Klezmer uh, tunes and having their own voice and, and are, have influenced us, inspired us, and continue to inspire us greatly. It's fascinating to hear you guys talk about it with such passion. So please feel free to continue. Well, then I'll say three things. Uh, <laughs> one, another, another thing we have to reference is that Klezmer, with, I, I just coming back to the toe tapping, Klezmer was the music so much for celebrations for weddings. But there's a song that's for, yes, the joy of the wedding. But there's actually a song and a groove specific to the drunken walk home, which is a little bit sad because it's meant for the parents after they've left their children in the new home oh, and they've finally moved out of the house, the both despair and yet the well wishing them well. There's a groove for that. The Yiddish Hora is a literally specific groove for that march and that recessional back to the home. Which so, so there's even emotions, even in the concepts of klezmer grooves. The second thing I wanted to say was um, that the social things and the other emotions that we're tapping into, or like you said, trying to find that point that is, seems impossible and then living in that point, I think that's, in the end of the day, we have to also just admit that we're, art, we're, we're creative artists and, and uh, we're not purists of klezmer. We've studied klezmer in order to then use it as a medium to express our art. And our art is always trying to create something new. And I'm not going to lie when I say that Janice does a lot of work outside of mostly kosher in the social justice realm. She runs her indivisible group in her neighborhood. She canvasses for the people that she believes in. And I do a lot of work with community service. I work with a lot of inner city youth and music education and also with men and women surviving homelessness and different programs. And it's a big part of our lives. So that's, of course, our artistic voice is starting to come out. So it's also a very personal thing. If you have audience that, you know, so, so who's the audience, right? If you have audiences that are klezmer purists, it's the interesting and hopeful visual thinking that we have as artists is that they will come and be able to hear all of the familiar themes and melodies and motifs that we've now given new life. And I think that what would be fascinating is that if there are people who do recognize those melodies, I hope that they not they come and they enjoy catching that little bits of nostalgic motifs and then seeing how they can be made anew. Of course, our whole concert's not going to be only fusion music. We'll definitely have moments where we'll be able to throw out a full traditional piece. So, so there's a place for the people that are scholars in the work or just grew up with that genre. And then for the people that don't know this work, we hope that the themes that have crossed over from just purist klezmer music will be an accessible bridge in and that they will find themselves relating to the themes of modern today and yet through this medium of klezmer, thus discovering a cultural sound that they haven't maybe been privy to. So we, we hope that the audiences can be both and that actually can find that this place is a meeting ground to cross the bridge for cross cultures, cross genres and intergenerational and everything you can imagine. That's the whole thing I wanted to say. I only wish there was a way to go back and rewrite the season brochure because that to me <laughs> sums up the show. Because last year, when, or not last year, but the last time we had you guys, people were coming up to me saying, oh, they were great. They were great. Some of them were 
as far as I know, Klezmer Puris, and they were like, we, we had a great time. We loved the show. Other people knew nothing about Klezmer and were coming up to me going, oh, that was a great show. I loved it. So you really are bridging gaps and creating, I guess, sort of almost a musical journey of, through different cultures. I won't just say the Jewish culture because it's, it sort of opens up everything just through the music. And to me, you guys excel in that. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But as musicians and as artists, what's your hope that people walk away from your concerts with? It's such a good question. We think about this a lot because every seed of a musical idea that we have, it's not simple and straightforward. It's funny, you sit down to play Mozart string quartet or even a jazz tune. There is sort of a roadmap in a sense, even if there's improvisation, speaking of the, on the jazz side, but when we have a seed of an idea and there's so many different ways we could go about it, well, if we just go purely traditional, then are we ignoring what our voice is? And if we go purely in the way of our self-expression, are we abandoning the tradition? So each piece has these things that we think about. But in terms of your question, I would hope that people walk away from our shows having a deeper understanding of the themes that we're getting across, especially now that we're getting even more involved in some of the issues that are important to us. For the people who have a lot of nostalgia for the Yiddish, for that section of our audience, I hope it gives them great comfort and joy to know that we take the study of the Yiddish music very seriously and we want to honor it and we want to continue it. And then lastly, for maybe some of the younger members of the audience, kids or millennials, that they're able to embrace, especially the Yiddish and the Klezmer that they're often not exposed to, even in temples, even in Jewish community centers, that they're not always exposed to, that hopefully that is a window in and that they have an understanding that the music isn't just for the old as much as we love them and we want to honor them, but it does extend to the newer generations. And that's one of the reasons why the, you know, taking all the different genres and more contemporary styles is not only our self-expression, which it is, but also, as Liav said, putting the drawbridge down. So I hope they're able to walk away from this, owning it and feeling like it can be their music too. I'd like to add and bridge that to people who are not young Jewish, but just one of the things I say a lot is I always look at what is world music. I mean, we're talking folk yeah. music, but what is, what is considered world music? What is considered cultural music? And I think that when you interview people a lot, you know, generally on the, off the street and you ask what's an example of cultural music, the first things people think of is, you know, African drumming or mariachi or, I mean, it depends on where they're from too, but in, in, at least in this American country, I think that looking at our cultural folk music as part of that diaspora doesn't, fairly down on the list towards the bottom for a lot of people. I've even made the comparison about Spotify. I once went to go look at the world music playlist they made, and it's like goes to you know a thousand. And people keep adding to it. It's like not until you get down to like the I don't know what number anymore, but like the two hundred and something. You know, is the first time you see something, and it repeats many other cultures before the first any anything that's even a hint of 
the Jewish cultural music hits that list. And it just makes me think that, what do I want? I want people to see our music as more of this doesn't just belong to the religion of Judaism, but this also is a cultural music that can be enjoyed by everyone, just like you or I or anyone might turn on music that's not just pop music. We might actually, if it was the case in LW, it's just an international um, experience more and more, and it's representing who we are. And, and Jewish music is global music anyway, because Jews live all over the world, and Jewish music, cultural music in South America is going to be very different than Iranian Jewish music, which will be very different than music of Jews that ended up in Mexico City. And so I love that. That's one of my favorite things about Jewish cultural music under that tent. It really is truly global music. I just also wanted to lead that into the fact that the melting pot of where we are, Los Angeles is one example. The coasts of America is a great example, and it's happening more and more in all of the cities around the nation that there's more interfaith marriages. There's more people that are, you know, third or fourth generation things. And I think that the future, I don't know what, I'm not trying to make prediction, but I just think that there is value to holding on to the roots, right? But what the future is could be a very, a huge mix of things. And I think it's good to embrace that. And I think it's good to go into it and celebrate it so that this doesn't have to, this culture and this music doesn't have to happen in silos. And there's no worry of cultural appropriation if you're turned on a hora and you're dancing to, you know, a klezmer hora in your living room, even if you have no Jewish lineage. You know, I just think that this is the hope that a future will feel like this music can belong to everyone, just like all global music is being enjoyed more and more by more eclectic mixes. Take it. We want you to have it. Yeah. And on that note, um, we're running out of time. So I, first of all, thank you guys again. I cannot thank you enough for taking the time. The Mostly Kosher concert is Sunday, November 3rd at uh, 7 p.m. at the Armstrong Theater. Looking forward to having you guys back and uh, looking forward to another great show. So thanks again, and, and we look forward to talking to you then. Thank you. Thanks so much, Chris.